Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and any other tangent that I happen to come up with. Um, whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. But if you can't find me, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com. I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube on Wednesday nights around 9.30. And tonight we have a special instance because I'm going to be out of town next week, and so we're going to sneak one in on Friday. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod. Uh, or Twitter with the exact same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today is Friday, August the 19th, and I have joining me Devin and Chase from about 47 different things. But we'll start with um, you guys have a website, and you do a, a whole bunch of research, and uh, you put it out there for folks like me to steal. Uh, you know, I have two different types of episodes that I create, and one of them are um, you know, informational. I'll try to take three different brands and tie them together with some sort of a unique uh, view or vision. And so I try to do a bunch of research and I usually find myself on um, Mash and Grain website because you've already done the heavy lifting for me. And so I'm <laughs> stealing it. But you guys also have uh, a new brand uh, or bottle or, or whatever you want to call it, blend that you're putting together uh, called Borrowed Page that you're putting out. So we want to talk about both of those things and quite a bit more we were he's got the bottle he's holding it up there um label is beautiful on it um, I've, I've read some things so we'll get into that but um you guys have been around for a few years and you started uh, as we were talking about <laughs> off off stream uh building a website where you do long form writing blogging effectively uh in a marketplace where the attention spans are uh, attention spans are getting uh, shorter so what was like what kind of market research led you to say this is a good idea? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, we did zero market research before we started the <laughs> the website. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. Um, we started during the, the pandemic, and um, you know, it's kind of I think this moment for everyone across the country where we're people started reevaluating um, things. And you know, Devin was was you know trying to find new ways to get more into whiskey, and I was dealing with isolation trying to figure out ways to, to reconnect, um, you know, with him and, and many of my other friends. And um, we just kind of came up with, with the idea. And I think the long format really wasn't by design so much as, we, you know, when we were talking to people who are so passionate about what they were doing and, and uh, we just, we were unable to, to censor some of those things, right. We just couldn't cut it down. Mm -hmm. We wanted to include as much as possible. And we kind of took the stance that the, the substance of what we were saying was more important than the brevity of it. Yeah, I think something that, uh, you know, Chase and I have been friends for a long time. We met when we were five years old. Uh, so we've been friends for, you know, a uh, blank amount of years. I'll let, I'll let people kind of guess on that one. But, um, you know, I'd been working and, you know, sort of on the on the outer rim of the whiskey industry and wanted to get more involved and wanted to learn more about it. And um, I think one thing that we did notice uh, that did sort of early on push us in the direction of, of more of the long form thing. Although Chase is right. It wasn't like a, a hard and fast rule out, out the gate, but you know, we noticed that most of what's on the, on the internet um, is tasting notes, right? It's 95% of what you're going to find about a specific distillery out there is, is just tasting notes. It's a subjective opinion. Um, and 
you know, if they wrote anything about the distilleries at all or the people at all, maybe you got three sentences at most, a mm -hmm. couple paragraphs. There were very few people out there that were really telling the stories about the, you know, the who, the why, the where of these distilleries. Um, and with the craft whiskey movement, you know, expanding so much over the last several decades and the concept of American whiskey becoming so much more diverse than it had been in a while, we felt, you know, maybe this was our opportunity. This was our chance to tell some stories that we felt like weren't being told. You know, and so I, I love that. And that's part of why I started doing what I was doing, um, because it became it's almost like a comedic trope now within the whiskey uh nerd business not necessarily within the industry itself but within the people who are talking about the industry to sort of bag on any brand that is telling a story right if you have a story to tell that is affiliated with your bottle and most of the time with your craft brands the the story is closer to complete truth than um historical brands you know like you know the the people who are like oh you know we're using the same yeast that you know uh, we use that our family used 100 years ago that's likely not true but uh, you have folks like you know a, a part of your Berlin, like like alan bishop that's you know telling really unique stories with each offering that he has and he's going out and doing some fun stuff but whiskey nerds are like, nah, we don't care. We don't want to blind taste everything. We don't want to know what it is. We don't want to hear the story. We don't want to be influenced by it. But we also only represent probably like 3% of the marketplace. Like People like me, they 3% of the marketplace and everyone else, they're going to read the story and be impacted by it. In the same way that you watch a movie and you're impacted, you, you know, listen to a song and you're impacted. It's a part of the complete experience. And so more of that needs to be out there and, tasting notes are virtually useless, right? Like, because it's what you tasted. And, you know, I, I, I read tasting notes where there's you know, marzipan is the one everybody likes to make fun of. That's a Fred Minnick thing. And not many people have had marzipan in their life. Like that's it's just because it's not a common flavor here. And um, there's another guy that makes fun of people for saying, Oh, I taste currants because currants aren't anything that grow in North America. Largely. That's a, that's like a European flavor and you might've had jelly or whatever. And <laughs> I, occasionally give tasting notes because I want someone um, to sort of understand some basics or what I'm doing. And maybe they like whatever I'm writing, but you almost feel phony or fraud, you know, because is that really what's in there? Is it really a banana or is it just sort of like a banana? So I appreciate that. You know, like in long form is good. Why should we have to, to cut it short? This isn't a, you know, this isn't a news article, you know, it's your own website. You, you built it out and you began with this mission statement around like shining a light on the spirit behind transformation of craft with the whiskey marketplace. This is like a, a website uh, line that you have and you've had it there since you began. Right. So there's a there's a tool on the Internet called the Wayback Machine and you can go to archive.org and you can look at a website and it was, you know, kind of cached at a moment in time. You can see exactly what it was. And so sometimes I use that to gauge are people like changing what they are just because the marketplace is. But the first version of your website and today's version of your website contain the exact same thing. So kudos to you. You know, you're staying true to exactly who you are, but you started as a website. You wrote out all these things. You had these contact and interactions with tons of craft distillers. What puts you in the position? You're like, let's make a blend of whiskey now. Well, I think um, it was always something that Chase and I sort of you know, toyed around with when we, when we launched the company, when we started the website, we kind of thought like, you know, 
this is what we want it to be, but you know, I wonder how we how it could grow, you know, and mm-hmm. and the concept of a blend and, and sourcing whiskey was was a conversation early on. We knew that we wanted to work exclusively with craft, that we weren't going to be working with with big people. We were we obviously wouldn't be getting stuff from MGP. Not that there's anything wrong with MGP or um, or anything like that, but it just it wasn't part of the story that we wanted to tell, you know. Um, and actually, like it, uh, that's sort of where it stayed. And then we were we were we were working on the website, and I think I had this realization as, as I saw the American Single Malt. Uh, commission getting, uh, you know, the TTB closer and closer and recognizing American single malt. And, you know, I think we're what we're 60 days or however many days of, of, you know, notes, notes process or whatever Mm -hmm. away from, from that being standardized. And that's incredible um, for American single malts as a category for this country, for American whiskey. Um, You know, I I have some opinions. Sorry. My dog has decided she wants to be a co-star here. Look, man, you're 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 gun you're gonna get upstaged by a dog every time you know because my dog. favorite thing about her is that she started off screen and then mm-hmm. she was like oh no if i lay over here i'm in i'm on i'm in the frame and then she's she like, yeah, closer she, 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 she's closer but she's now out of frame and so i expect like a head to pop up on a shoulder at yeah. some point in time she's right um, but she, she, she laid perfectly in for like just the, oh. the small window that fit and she was there I when I saw her do that, I was like, what a ham is the first thing that I thought. <laughs> she's, made, she's made for internet uh fame for all she, twelve yeah. people watching. She this. can't give me ten she can't give me ten minutes before, you know. Uh but no, hey, uh whatever tells the story, man. You know, I'm I'm excited for American single malt. I have some thoughts and opinions on those standards, uh, you know, that that, that they've introduced. Um, I would have liked to see them be slightly different, but all in all, standardization is great for them, great for the category, great for American whiskey. So it's a great step forward. But realizing that American single malt was about to be standardized, I started to think about American whiskey and I started to see, you know, that sort of vague title, American whiskey, mm-hmm. as sort of being maybe like the last true bastion of of unbridled innovation and experimentation in American mm-hmm. whiskey because you know, it's such a vague catch-all term for any American-made whiskey that doesn't meet one of the standards. Um, and the second I started thinking about that, I started realizing, like, well, you know, as American mash and grain, like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't make bourbon, we shouldn't make rye, we shouldn't make single malt. We should mm-hmm. blend all these different styles of whiskey to, to, together because we could call that an American whiskey, and we could really start to play around with it and. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool, you know, if we could make a product that, you know, was great on its own, right? You know, the sum of the parts was a phenomenal product, but also used kind of the distinctive aspects of the different styles of whiskey that we blended together as a way to to further our mission, to expand on our ethos of shining a light back on the places where this is made. Um, And, you know, sourcing whiskey and putting your label on it, that's not a that's not a novel concept uh, anywhere, certainly not here in America, but, you know, one of the things that tends to rub people the wrong way is a lack of transparency, you Mm -hmm. know, hiding behind non-disclosure agreements and, you know, confidentiality agreements. And, and so I thought, you know, what if we went, what if we went the other way? What if we put the, you know, what if we put the labels of the whiskeys that, you know, distilleries that we worked with right here on the front of the bottle, you know, we were super straight up about what is in here and made that the story made you know this new blend not only something that could maybe help to 
further the conversation of what American whiskey could be, but also stayed within our lane um, and ethos of, of who we who we are. Yeah, I think that's a it's a it's a really important piece, right? We, having talked to a lot of craft producers out there, you know, so much so, like all of them are really fixated about winning their backyard, right? They're they're a part of their immediate community. Their stories are are, are so linked to being part of that community, um, and by developing a, a blended product that incorporates them, we're, we're able to cross pollinate, right? We're able to in, introduce people, you know, in Columbus to spirits of French Lick or, or, or whiskey Delbac. And it's just like, you know, when, when TV episodes have a crossover, right? You get two big episodes, you know, two TV shows and they come together and all of a sudden there's more immediate tension and fanfare around it. It's, it we're trying to kind of recreate that right? by, by bringing together two, entities that might otherwise not cross paths, but have a similar mission in, in, in allowing that product to, to have an even bigger footprint than either of them would in isolation or even mashing grain um, in collaboration with them. So I think that the, the idea of bringing these people together um, is both important from a storytelling standpoint and, and, you know, the idea of a blend is so, you know, goes back so long at whiskey that it just was kind of a natural, natural concept for us to, to, to um, migrate into. Mm -hmm. uh, so I like that 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 crossover concept, um, but if you really want to like needle into the real nerds that are in whiskey, it, you need to do comic books. It's a comic book crossover. You're effectively making the 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 Avengers of the whiskey world, right? You're, you're talking to the right person, stars. John. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're taking yeah. all the stars and putting them together into a single movie that now and that's one of the things. So you, you mentioned the lack of transparency and, and some American consumers get really upset about that. Um, but the reality is like, how many, how many things do you buy that you have true transparency on where everything is coming from? We just get sort of bent out of shape on some of these luxury items and we want to know it. Um, but I think brands and, and you guys are doing this because you have transparency, but brands can shift their mentality and say, this is actually a selling point, especially when we're blending together these four, because I may be a huge spirits of French lick fan but I may know nothing about whiskey Del Bach and I want to see what you guys are going to do to my favorite Lee Sinclair by adding these other three. Do I like it? Do I think it's better? Do I think it's worse? And then now I've got to go buy these other three bottles to see how these all play together. Right. And so you're kind of creating this, this great marketplace of expanding knowledge, you know, and the real, real fans, they're probably going to do that, you know, cause I'm sitting here from a perspective of you have you know, borrowed page, um, which is a great name for this. this is a perfect, perfect name for it, I think. Um, aside from maybe Whiskey Avengers, but you know, I'm <laughs> just I trademarked that on the side. So if you want it now, you have to pay me with those big uh, blogging bucks that you got. Um, but I had uh, so in on my shelf, I have Lee Sinclair. I spent some time uh, visited French Lick uh, last fall, picked up a few bottles. I've had a few bottles from before that. Um, obviously, we talked about it off stream, off stream. But um, interviewed Alan Bishop it was the second interview I did. Fantastic, love the dude. Um, picked up a bottle of whiskey Del Bach uh, on a on a website that was a single barrel, you know, and I had the the watershed as a part of the Eve line. Uh, I, I oh, may, yeah, or may cool. not know, but that was a C O eight O one GL if I remember correctly. And I went through at once I got all of them, like, and I did the blind tasting the way you're supposed to, but I saved a half a bottle of each one to kind of come back to it at the end and be like, all right, now let's rank them against each other. They're all. And that one ended up being at the top of my list. And that was the watershed bottle. And it's, you know, 130 proof watershed. It was delicious, I thought. Um, of course, that's my opinion. And somebody else can taste it and be like, eh. But now there's this fourth person. Now I have to go out and figure out about Wiggle. And then, is it Wiggle or Wiggle? I assume it's Wiggle, right? Wiggle. wiggle that, that's, yeah. that's the way I've heard it said from other people. But I also am going to ask. Um, 
I've got to pick up the fourth one. And now I can better understand what you guys are doing. And and that's sort of exciting. It's like collecting baseball cards. And anybody who's got a whiskey collection like this, ask them what they collected when they were kids. Was it baseball cards? Was it comic books? You know, there's something. You know, maybe it was pocket knives. I, I don't know what you collected, but you collected something. You just grew up and, and you used your adult money to start collecting adult things now. <laughs> so, um, so, so you're going after this idea of innovation. And I think you're right. And I, I have on here to come back to, I want to know what your notes are on American single malt that you think need to be different because I'm interested in that as well. Like I was, last year they announced that they, were, they had pushed a, um, request TTB, I don't know, October or November of last year. And TTB was going to make a decision. And I literally watched TTB's uh, newsletter for like five months waiting to see something come out. And I, I think it did everyone in the world a disservice because I gave up on it after about five months. And like two weeks later is when it hit. <laughs> and if I'd have given up earlier, maybe it would have hit sooner and everybody would have been happier or whatever. Um, but, but I think you're right. You know, uh, American whiskey can be a place of unbridled innovation, but are you concerned about any noise in the channel? Because there are no standards. You could also be competing with a host of other things and potentially have a negative connotation. Because if you put the word blended on an American whiskey bottle in the United States right now, most people are like, Oh, what does that mean? In, in Scotch world is a different thing. It's not as big a deal, but here, why is it blended? You know, uh, is that a concern or you think you can beat it? Yeah, listen, I, I, I understand. I think part of the appeal, right, was because of the stigma, right? Mm -hmm. Like we wanted to lean in is like, like whiskey should be about innovation. You know, it's, it's an artistic expression. It's about, you know, every local community is different. Maybe they have different, you know, grains they weren't working in their mash bill or they, they have a, a particularly curious or creative um, distiller at the helm. And, 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 and we don't want, distilleries right kind of conforming into what what is a, some variation of a kentucky or tennessee bourbon right just because mm -hmm. there are standards that that dictate that and so i think leaning into the the um you know the the american whiskey which has the stigma was a really big important piece to us and you know I, I, when i try to explain it to some people is like um, yes, there are going to be people out there making bad blended products, right? Um, or maybe even making really good blended products, but their processes and their, their practices are bad, you know, in terms of like mm -hmm. transparency and where they're sourcing and things like that. That's fine. But like, we kind of want to be that opposing force that's in there that's trying to do it the right way. That's actually trying to, to get people warm to the idea of creativity, innovation. And like, we don't need to get so stuck in the mud of like, you know, what, how much corn is in it and you know, what state does it come from and, and, and things like that. And I, I kind of liken it to like um, a, a musical group, right? Like if you find a band you really like, you're going to go get their album no matter what. And, you know, even if the genre is, is broadly bad, like you, you're going to go follow that band. And if we can kind of build up a reputation of, doing high quality things in a way that shares the limelight with people who are also doing high quality things for the right reasons, then ultimately, regardless of what stigma exists around uh, American whiskey or blended whiskey, right? I, I think people, uh, the, you know, the, the, tr the true appreciators out there will, will, will see through that and kind of, I know we're all laughing because Harper's in the background, but we'll, we'll, we'll see through that and, and actually like get the value out of this product series that we're hoping that they will. Okay. Um, so you've mentioned it on here, right? So the, the, the four blends you have, you've 
effectively avoided the state of Kentucky entirely. Was that like, did you set out to do that or this is just how it worked? Well, we actually, two points on that. We actually have not yet featured a Kentucky craft distillery on the website. Mm -hmm. Um, TBD on whether that might be in the works or not. Follow, uh, follow Matt Mash and Grain, you know, plug, plug, plug. But, uh, you know, uh, part of this is also that uh, we're not going to just work with anybody. Um, and that's not to say that we are super picky about who we feature on the website, because as long as what you're doing, like Chase said, seems like you're, you know, you're actually doing it and you're doing it for the right reasons and you've got a great story to tell, like, if you're willing to let us help tell that story, like, you know, most, for the most part, we're, you know, we're happy to, to find some time to, to feature you on Mash and Grain, but nobody will ever be in Borrowed Page that hasn't already been featured on the website. And part of that's because, um, part of that's because we want to work with people that we, we know, we want to, we want to have whiskeys in this series that we believe in, um, and that we think are telling an interesting part of, you know, where American whiskey is going. So Kentucky's not in the bottle for volume one, but um, that's just because we haven't featured a, a Kentucky, mm-hmm. you know, craft distillery on our website. Hopefully borrowed page becomes successful. The, the hope is that this is a limited series that we can release multiple times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, each volume will be different from the last. So, you know, we'll, we'll work, you know, volume two will be different craft distilleries, different styles of whiskey, completely different from volume one. Uh, volume one will never be replicated again. So once volume one is sold out, it's gone. You know, volume so two. get it while supplies last, people out there. Get it while supplies last. Talk about baseball cards, right? Uh, but um, but where can you get it? How about that? Well, you can, uh, as of right now, volume one is exclusively sold on our website. So go to Mash and Grain. That's Mash, M-A-S-H, the letter N, Grain, G-R-A-I-N.com. Uh, and you can buy it there on our website. It ships to 40 states across the country. Uh, I don't have the 10 that it doesn't reach off the top of my head. Um, but Sorry, uh, Alaska and Hawaii. Oh, Alaska, like Hawaii, that. Rhode Island. Uh, Rhode Island. Sure. There's a better than average chance that it ends up being Kentucky and Tennessee as well. But uh, I think actually, no, they, 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 they go yeah, there. Those, are, those there? are on there. But um, I, you know, actually, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention though is that uh, we worked with a place called Bluegrass Bottling down in Kentucky, in Stanford, Kentucky. Uh, they helped us with this immensely. Uh, you know, that's where all the barrels were shipped. Chase and I flew down to Kentucky, uh, in June for this, for this volume. Uh, that's where it was blended. That's where it was bottled and packaged. Um, so Kentucky, you know, Kentucky does have its fingerprints on this bottle, uh, but more in sort of helping us, helping us make this thing a reality. Yeah. And that was, it's, I don't think, I, I I think if you had done it intentionally, I would, like fully be on board with that because at the end of the day, I mean, if you have a conversation about whiskey in the United States, it's going to largely center around Kentucky and or Tennessee. And, you know, there's 2000 plus craft distilleries. There's not 2000 plus craft distilleries in Kentucky. Most of the innovation is happening elsewhere. It's happening in Colorado. It's happening in Texas. It's happening in Washington. It's happening everywhere else because you get a lot of tradition here and it's like, oh, well, you know, we've got to make sure we have a rye, which is not really true K- Kentucky thing, but you know, whatever. And then there's, you know, corn, corn whiskey, or there's, you know, white lightning or there's whatever, like it's a pretty pl- uh, standard playbook in the state of Kentucky, largely for most yeah. craft distillers. Well, and I won't say that it wasn't intentional. I mean, 
-hmm. we've you know we've been running the website for over two years there is a reason why we, why there isn't a kentucky craft distillery on there right. now and it's not because kentucky craft distilleries are bad but it's because you know kentucky's story has been told yeah um you know it's being so, told it's not even has been it's being told on a regular basis being told it doesn't but, need our, it doesn't need american mash and grains help exactly um and uh you know, sort of sticking to sort of the evolution of what American whiskey can be. You know, we've spent the first couple of years, I would say, again, not intentionally leaving Kentucky out completely, but folk shining that light around the country mm -hmm. a little bit more. Yeah. I think if somebody in the state of Kentucky was like, I'm opening up a, a distillery and I'm focusing exclusively on American single malt, that's probably a story worth telling because there's not anybody. I mean, there's there's some American single malts coming out of Kentucky. But I don't know anybody who's like, this is it. We're our whole claim is right here. You know, usually it's we'll start with a rye, then we'll have a bourbon, and then we'll talk about doing something fun afterwards. You know, um, whatever else. And, and there, there's been a really interesting, like, by no design going into it, there's been kind of an interesting pattern we see emerge, right? Like, there are some people that are innovating, you know, completely independent of everyone else because they're just innovators. Mm -hmm. But we're also like the whole larger regionalization of what does a mid-Atlantic whiskey look like separate from a mm -hmm. Pacific Northwest, separate from a, a, a Southwest or even specifically Texas and Colorado. And it's really interesting to see that kind of be defined in real time. And, and um, you know, it, it, to, to your point, Ken, Kentucky's whiskey, its story has been told and continues to be told, but like they've already gone through that learning curve. And like mm -hmm. what we're seeing in these other regions of the U.S. is like, you know, the people doing it and producing these things are actually actively defining what their style of whiskey should look like. And some of them are reaching way back into history and some of them are looking forward into kind of science fiction. And, and it's really cool to kind of be just, you know, using mash and grain as a, as a platform to, to help understand, to help other people understand th those, um, those learnings and definings that are coming out, uh, coming about. Yeah. And I, and I think craft whiskey and specifically non craft, non Kentucky craft whiskey is getting, a pretty strong spotlight and and it feels like you guys have slid it right into uh, an appropriate time frame because i think about what the folks at lost lantern are doing and they're doing one-offs of a lot of small craft distilleries and i think about what marion eves did with her um with her blind series and it was all non-kentucky whiskeys and then uh, you know the, the the guys at blind barrels and they're focusing pretty heavily on craft distilleries and, and and bringing unique things that are happening across the united states and you know it's similar to what happened in in beer in the united states you know, 20 25 years ago where you know it, a handful of craft folks came out and everybody you know latched onto them and those those folks grew into major uh, major brands so you know wilderness trails prime example they started off as craft and now they're a heritage brand but they're only like what 10 years old you know you, you went from non-existent to heritage in 10 years because you built it up but there's this second wave of innovation that comes in it's like we want to be craft and we may actually want to be intentionally small so we can continue to do incredibly innovative things because when you're only putting out a couple of barrels a day it's easier to to make that modification than it is if you're running a factory line and you're putting out 5 million barrels a year or whatever, you know, whatever the insane number happens to be. Um, but coming in and saying, ah, we're okay with picking up what these craft distillers are doing and creating a unique blend. And that's one of the, you know, I have these things that I think are, you know, encouraging trends in whiskey and American single malts one. And the idea of finishing is another one. And then another one is the idea of blending, you know, it's happening in mainstream for, for folks that are using MGP and there's nothing wrong with it, but 
there doesn't necessarily need to be another MGB brand out there. You know, there, there's plenty of them. You can find them. They pop up every day. It's okay. And it's good whiskey. That's the reason why it's there. But you think about what Aaron at Smoke Wagon is doing, and he's creating unique blends using explicitly MGP whiskey. And people are like, ah, you don't actually make anything besides blending, but we're okay with that. So that tide's shifting a touch. Um, so I think what the long way to say this is a, this, this feels like – the appropriate time for that to happen you know what you guys are doing thank you yeah. yeah the so how did you go about selecting these four specifics so and i think i ran over them, but we'll kind of double back and say again in this blend there is uh and i'll, I'll let you guys say because you know the percentages maybe or, <laughs> or the, the, the factos from the website that i did not read off yeah i uh i think i've got the percentages right and uh you know for anybody who is listening or watching, if, if I get this wrong, you know, be kind on the internet. Yeah. But uh, I believe it's it's uh, it's thirty four percent straight bourbon from Watershed Distillery in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it's thirty two percent straight rye whiskey uh, from Wiggle Whiskey out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Twenty four percent Lee Sinclair uh, uh, bourbon out of Spirits of French Lick in French Lick or West Baden, Indiana. Um, and then 10% uh, whiskey del Bac. There you go, a little little spirits of French lick there. 10% uh, whiskey del Bac, which is a mesquite smoked single malt whiskey out of Tucson, Arizona. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, I'll tell you that you know the real story of how this thing started. So you know, we we had the idea maybe we'll release a blend at some point. Mm -hmm. Then I kind of had this American whiskey epiphany. You know, let's let's push back against the stigma. Let's, let's be part of, of, you know, this next chapter. Um, and also like, let's, let's differentiate ourselves. Right. I mean, something that we learned so much in talking to all these craft whiskey distilleries is how do you differentiate yourself? There is no company as far as I know, uh, that exclusively focuses on producing American whiskey. It does not produce a bourbon, does not, you know, similar to a Kentucky single malt thing. There's nobody out there that only does this and doesn't also throw out a bourbon or a rye. Right. Uh, so it's a, it's a point of differentiation. So we had these concepts, but they were just kind of there. Um, I have worked for the last couple of years uh, in a variety of different roles at Kings County Distillery in Brooklyn, New York. Um, uh, I was working there and signed up to do to lead a tasting class when I was told that Greg Lehman from Watershed Distillery was, was coming through. Uh, and we had just recently, uh, you know, featured Watershed. So I had established somewhat of a relationship. So, uh, you know, I said, I'll give Greg and his guests a, a private tour of the distillery after the tasting. So Greg came, he sat through my tasting, which hopefully was not, you know, too unbearable to sit, sit through. And, uh, and then I gave him a private tour. And at one point, you know, he asked me straight up, like, you know, how's American Mashing Grain? Like, what's going on with that? And I don't know where I got the, you know, the boldness or whatever, but I was just kind of like, I'm just going to shoot my shot here. I, I right. sort of itched him the concept. Like this is something we're, we're thinking about doing sometime in the future. And, and Greg being the like sweetheart, humble dude that he is was like, well, you know, like sounds like a great idea. If you guys would ever be willing to consider us for, you know, to be a part of it, like we would mm -hmm. love to. And, uh, and you know, in my, in my brain and in my heart, it's like jumping up and down and freaking mm -hmm. out. I called chase immediately after that, you know, 
But on the outside, you're like, be cool, be cool, be cool. <laughs> right? And, and Greg was that was super helpful early on. You know, there were there was a, an idea that maybe the whole thing would actually even happen at Watershed, that they would be the facility where we send the mm -hmm. barrels and we'd get it blended there. That didn't end up working out with their production schedule, which is how we sort of had to, you know, one of the many reassessment periods over the last you know year or so that led us to bluegrass bottling who again were were wonderful lisa and her team there are just great um but then yeah uh we hopped on a phone with with greg and uh ann demick who at the time was working at watershed as their sort of like barrel master and kind of jack of all trades whiskey you know expert uh and they kind of they they were awesome they sat with us they walked us through like how could we actually make this happen everything from like what do we maybe need from a legal standpoint you know, how much might this cost? What are we talking about a timeline? Uh, and that was, I mean, invaluable information. And Chase and I just kind of ran from it with it from there. Um, my first ever job in whiskey was as a New York City brand ambassador for Wiggle in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and they've got a really great story. You know, they're the most awarded craft whiskey distillery in America. They have revitalized kind of an old school style of rye whiskey. They're using Monongahela rye, which at one point was the most popular style of rye whiskey in this country. Um, so I just thought, you know, and, and, and they're super all about education and innovation. So, mm -hmm. you know, I reached out to Meredith and Alex at Wiggle um, and was pumped that they were into it. We reached out to Alan Bishop at Spirits of French Lake because we just thought, like, here's a super cool dude who's doing super cool stuff. And I just we we had a feeling like maybe he mm -hmm. could be into this. And Alan was super enthusiastic about it and continues to be a great champion of Borrowed Page. So we love Alan Bishop. Um, and then, you know, when we were thinking about a whiskey that could maybe kind of be a proof of concept of that, you know, making something that's great all together, but also you can use distinctive aspects to sort of shine mm -hmm. a light back. We were thinking, well, what's a whiskey that could really be a proof of concept of that? And immediately I was like, mesquite smoked single malt out of Arizona sounds pretty, you know, unique and has a very specific flavor profile. So we went back to them and, and they were, you know, they were on board too. And we, we had a couple strikeouts. I won't mention, you know, the strikeouts, but uh, you know, we were lucky enough to get, these four distilleries on board and, and excited about it. Yeah. yeah no, just, just add a little bit of color. Cause that was comprehensive and, and, and fantastic. You know, a, a couple things like one throughout the process of trying to, to build this um, aside from like, yes, we talked to everyone. We got to know the people involved. We got to taste all the products. We got to, to, to make sure that we, we, we kind of liked the quality. We had an idea of what would be going into the blend. The, the community aspect to really make this thing come to life can't be understated. Um, you know, like Devin has highlighted a bunch of people like, you know, what, what Greg Lehman and, and Andemic did to, to get us started was instrumental. And, you know, a fun fact on that front, just because I like to, to, to share it, Greg Lehman in, in, in outside of Columbus, Ohio, um, it's it's my my wife's hometown and his father was my wife's volleyball coach back when she was in high school. So like, you know, like we when we started going, you know, like, you know, my, my in-laws had run into his parents and the, the, the grocery store like, oh, they're going to do it. Is this going to be a thing? And so like, you know, and, and, and they were great champions early on, you know, along with everyone. And, and I just, you know, 
for a website that started as a blog on kind of just a, a, a concept basis that wanted to celebrate all of these individuals for them to kind of in return show the support and share the enthusiasm for for the things that we were working on was actually um unexpected and, and really appreciated we, we just couldn't have done it without without these er, you know early people who, you know taking a chance on us mm -hmm. yeah the the concept i'll say the concept for this whiskey got so much in so much enthusiasm and so much support from from basically anybody that we that we talked to about it and and that's from the distilleries all the way through like the people where we get our glass the people that give us our toppers you know like every aspect we were met with such enthusiasm it was it was a daunting task um and it was hard work and there were a lot of challenges but um you know that fuse got lit by greg that night and uh and i feel like <laughs> propane or gasoline just kept getting thrown onto the fire mm -hmm. like it just it the, you know the the uh the fuel to burn this thing and 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 get it done um was really overwhelming really humbling and and especially for these for these distilleries craft distilleries to to take a chance on on us two people who have only a couple of years exposure in the business absolutely zero credibility or uh you know evidence that we can blend anything together mm -hmm. uh and I'll be honest with you, at that point, I hadn't even like when we started doing this, I hadn't even like messed around with bottles in my in my collection. Right. Like I like uh it kind of blows me away that any of them said yes, but we were, you know, we're blessed that they did. And I you know, I don't know, I don't I don't I don't know if if blessed is the appropriate term. I, I think you had an idea and a passion and, and they could see that. And and I can only imagine, you know from a distiller's perspective, this is probably the kind of thing that they absolutely want to participate in. But if they're the ones that champion the idea and they ask three people to join them and they've got a half a dozen other really solid friends that are distillers, it's like, well, why didn't you invite me? Why, why am I not on the list? You know? And so they're in a position now because from what I've seen, largely the distillery community, the, the whiskey community, they're all pretty friendly they're, they're willing to help each other out you know like they're competing for market share but they want to win because theirs is better not because they made sure they bought up all the bottles that somebody else would use to bottle up their whiskey so you can't put it on the show like it's not that kind of a cutthroat environment but if you wanted to do this type of a, an experiment you're going to leave a friend out and then the friend's going to be mad at you and, and then you're going to deal with them at the next whiskey expo you're at or whatever so it's not surprising that they're like yeah let, let's do this and now I'm be like, well, nah, it was Devin and Chase. They put the list together. Go yell at them, right? <laughs> you guys are it now. Y'all, y'all are the reason they can blame you while while participating in a fun thing. Always um, volume two. Always volume. I think you're you're right, and I think a lot of them like they are. They're all experimenting and innovating so yeah. much in their own lane do they even have time to consider that and, and, and their appetite to see well what is the boundary of whiskey like where is it like mm -hmm. can we ever find it is it limitless in its nature and, and, and so like when they they hear about us and, and when we met them and they know we're honest actors in the space because our relationship had really start came from a place of we want to help you succeed we want to help tell your story right. and, and get that out there and then we came to this idea it's like hey let's just like let's see where that boundary is like can quality exist without these kind of 
uh, standards of of single malt or bourbon or rye and things like that. And like, mm-hmm. you know, can we take you know a, a native you know Southwest whiskey and a Central America, you know, Central Central Ohio, Central USA kind of kind of whiskey and, and bring them together and things? And like, the answer I, I think is undoubtedly yes. And, and I, I think it's yes to the point where the canvas, like that landscape of what whiskey can be, is is seems even bigger now to me than when we started this project. Yeah, and you have a you have a better blank slate than anybody else because you know and and because American single malt still is you know kind of unfettered and they can call it whatever they want to until that's adopted. But just by the name, there is a somewhat of an expectation from the American consumer that a single malt is going to be that you would you could know, do it without it being truly a single malt. But the consumer has an idea. But just saying American whiskey or American blended whiskey. It's sort of the, the the gloves are off there, and I, I think what you what you may find, and you can tell me if I'm wrong in a year's time, whenever you're on you know the borrow page batch seventeen or what, whatever the number happens to be in a year. Seventeen um, is ambitious, but yeah, I, hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, when you sell through this by the end of the month, and you're like, oh, we've got to have something else, and you and then now you've got distillers calling you, being like, hey, let's do this. Um, you know, it could go fast, but I think you're going to end up like if you end up at a whiskey expo or whatever, you're going to have Tons of jerks like me coming up and being like, I have an idea for you. Here's the people you need to blend. And that's going to be interesting. Like you just it's because it's gonna be a drunk guy. He's like, you need to blend these five together. And you're like, no, that's not how it works. But um do, do you have picked what number two is gonna be? Uh we, you know, Chase and I have had mul- have multiple conversations. Uh mm-hmm. the list. I'll say there's some people that have stayed on that list. There's some people that seem to sort of uh, move in and out. I'll mm-hmm. say that with, you know, I can't talk about who we're thinking about mm-hmm. for volume two because we haven't asked them yet. But uh, right. but I will say that with the people that we're thinking about, volume two will be a very different whiskey from volume one. Right. And I think, I mean, if you, if you see oh, – go ahead. Sorry. No, I, was say, I think that's important, right? Like we, we can all – enjoy nuance and subtlety uh but like when we're so early and we're trying to define this as kind of a a series um that isn't bound by by standards Mm -hmm. um we do kind of need to lean another another direction and and like like i said it's all we're we're feeling we're trying to find the boundaries right and we can't just go in one direction and do that i think the ambition is who we talk to that's doing something completely unrelated or unrelatable to 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 the the you know, distilleries and the brands that we have in there right now. And I think, you know, you, you, you will see success with this. I, I think I, I feel pretty confident about it. Um, but is for the number or you, you, you kind of, do you have a number that you're looking for? Is it always going to be four? Is it going to be three, five, or you just, whatever works is what works. It's hard to say. I feel it's hard to say. Uh, four felt, four felt right for this mm-hmm. one. Um, I think we had tossed around three maybe early on. And, and you know, what, what's great about Borrowed Page Volume 1 is it's four distilleries. It's four barrels, right? Each one of them has one barrel of whiskey in here. Whiskey Dow Box was a tiny little guy. Uh, and uh, and that's nice. There's a nice there's a nice balance to that. I think there was a nice uh, – that was a nice sort of entry blend for, yeah. for us to handle. Um but, you know, volume two, maybe it'll be three distilleries, but it'll be two barrels from each one. Or maybe it'll be four with two again. And um, 
I think at the end of the day, we'll make the decision off of what we think makes the best whiskey, yeah. not off of like, mm-hmm. it needs to be four or it needs okay. to be four barrels or it needs to be eight barrels, like or 724 bottles produced from volume one. Mm-hmm. Uh, would I love for there to be 1500 or 1600 or 1800 bottles produced for volume two? Sure. But, mm-hmm. uh, we will we'll always make the decision based on what is going to make the best whiskey what's going to be the next step forward for for borrowed page yeah it, it, i think that's it's it's a really important way to think about it and, and um you know a lot of this is driven from like all right let's not adhere to standards so we don't want to self-impose things right like four is an arbitrary number it worked really well for us in in, in this moment but looking forward like we're we're a, a company a platform that is changing evolving you know we're, we're curiosity driven and, and you know that because of those things it's hard to kind of commit to something and then mm-hmm. you take in the fact that we're working with with um craft producers who are inherently innovating and being curious and creative in their own right and to, to try and project out um you know what standard things are going to be I, I think is impossible i i, I think you know, the things that we commit to, right, is it has to be craft, um, you know, because there's there's value in that for us as a platform. That's where we exist. That's our ethos that so we want to shine a light of that. And, and it has to be a product that we think elevates, you know, the, the, the sum of the parts and something that, that Devin and I are proud of. And outside of those two things, I think everything else is, is subject for subject to, to curiosity, creativity and innovation. Mm-hmm. All right. I have to dig through my notes there i don't i don't take notes in a linear fashion there's a lot of scratch scratch <laughs> here uh, so you have to bear with me. i scratch through stuff as i ask questions um so y- you mentioned that the you have a selling point here right so if you buy one uh bottle of borrowed page you're effectively buying four single barrels of each one of these brands because it's a single barrel going in here and everybody's all about a single barrel you got to have a single barrel so Buy one bottle, you, you knock out, you know, you knock out Elise Sinclair, you knock out Adele Bach, you knock out the Wiggle, and you knock out the Watershed. You got a single barrel of everybody, and you're happy, and you just saved some money, and you bought a bottle. But um, the a great way to think about I, it in terms of the pro, you know, what a value, yeah. it, incredible <laughs> yeah. value, incredible. Yeah, this is a value product. <laughs> it, it is. It's a, it's a value product without being priced uh, out of this world, but you're still getting a high quality thing here. Um, did well, the, that's an the, art figuring out how to price something too. That's not, that's that's not easy. You know, I, I I've learned through. everything's an art. Finding the right the bottle topper is an art. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's like I mean, nothing it, is easy making this happen in a post-COVID world. Uh, that, that from what I understand of supply chain, that's incredibly true. But I, I work with a bunch of software engineers, and they 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 say the most difficult for thing for them is, is thing for them is not solving the problem. It's figuring out how to name things. Like oh, you yeah. got to name this value, you got to name this value. Just like naming also things. Also a tough. big challenge. Also a big challenge. But yeah, I, I would say actually, you're stuck with it. You know, Chase and I, you know, friends for again, you know, fill in the blank number of years. A long at least sixteen. Time. It's at least sixteen years. Oh, because if you were five, and you have to be twenty-one to own a whiskey, <laughs> it's at least sixteen <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah I wrote that down to come back to him. Like, uh, we're it's at least a sixteen-year <laughs> friendship. At least sixteen is ni- is nice for anybody that might be scared by that number. It is significantly higher than sixteen. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'll say, like, you know, we, on the price aspect, I, I agree. I think it's a great value. It's probably the biggest argument 
continuous argument that Chase and I had over the course of this thing. <laughs> yeah, it was. Who's arguing for more and who's arguing for less? Like that, which which side of the fence is? I'm down. It lasts. You're, you're you're lower and he's higher. All right. So, but who won the most? I, I think it was. A, <laughs> I was gonna say I think it's a compromise. Yeah, it was a good compromise. <laughs> yeah, if you had seen my starting number, you would say I lost. But. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think it's but you don't you don't start with the actual number you want, right? Like in a negotiation, you start at a, a different number so you can come to what you want. Actually, I, 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 I couldn't even justify lower than I wanted. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't think I could even straight face because that's just a, an aggressive loss. Um, you, you know, it's it's a fine balance um, the the pricing piece because the quality of product, even I mean, you said it, even if it was just a single barrel of any of these high quality producers, mm-hmm. it's in the 80 plus range, right? I, I think that that's an easy thing to, to, to claim. And then you say, all right, not only that, there's the, the craft and the innovation of actually bringing it together into one unique expression. So there's inherent value in that. Mm-hmm. For us to come in at $75, now granted there's tax and there's shipping because we're all you know online retail, so you can't go to a shelf and buy it. There's always gonna be shipping. For, for us to come in at $75, I think Devin had a very good claim that we were mm-hmm. undervaluing um, what the product was. Um, me coming more from the marketing side of things and then the, the business development side of things is like, but we've never done it before. Right. And we need to sell the damn thing. Right. So like, like there's no version of this reality that's a failure outside of forever being stuck with a bunch of product that we can't sell. Right. right. So, 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 like, at least in this initial iteration, we, we needed to get to a point that, like, didn't undervalue it so aggressively that we made it seem cheaper than what it was, but also at a point that we, we, we could sell it. And I think we found the, the right sweet spot, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that compromise. Um, you know, I also like the idea of going back to the underlying mission of the, the platform, which is to shine a light on these, these, um, craft producers, like if we were to go say it's a hundred and twenty dollar bottle of whiskey, like are we really exposing people who've never heard of one or multiples of these distilleries to that product? Probably not as effectively as we would have wanted. And mm-hmm. so, like, there is this underlying drive to like make sure the product can get out there and people can talk about it and experience right. it and be exposed to these new producers. And I would challenge. I think that even at seventy five, you are undervalued at seventy five. I, I would I would agree with that entirely. I mean, think about barrel craft spirits. Whenever they first hit the marketplace, I don't know that they priced anything under ninety nine dollars, and they had never done it before either. Now they were at a higher uh, volume of bottles that they were selling, but even at that, they're at a higher volume and they're still charging ninety nine bucks. And no question about it, you know, yeah. I think you're you're okay. You know, I think, yeah. I think the way Chase and I were thinking about it is that because because like Chase mentioned, it's it's exclusively an online product. So you're paying tax, you're mm-hmm. paying shipping on this. Although I will say if you buy in bulk, you get free shipping. Four more bottles, no shipping. Four more bottles and no you don't pay shipping on this. But uh if you, know, you buy we four were- bottles, you have the equivalent of four single barrel bottles for sure now because if your ratios work out, you, you got there. So you need to get yeah, four so, so you can. We were we were thinking we we got to keep we want to we wanted to keep this for the for the consumer mm-hmm. that nobody's going to spend a hundred bucks on this on this whiskey when you factor tax in when you factor shipping, um, and I think that that you know around that hundred dollar mark that's that's getting closer to to the value of what this product is, um, but we wanted to make sure that you know. Yeah. Everybody was going to be able to get this product for under that amount of money 
at the end of the day, all things said and done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I was my last thing I say is like, you know, once we sell out of volume one and we have a track record of sales and like we can go back and look at it. But I, I, mm-hmm. I do ultimately like that we're trying to price it at a point that's favorable to getting the whiskey in the hands of the people. Mm-hmm. Because the mission isn't for like like the mission statement on our website has never been we want to make money selling whiskey we want to go it, it, the the mission statement is like we want to elevate the profile of craft whiskey yeah. right and and we're not going to do that by pricing out people and excluding people based off of the price point of the bottle yeah well I mean in in looking at it from a, a limited edition perspective you're you're looking at you will have one or four if you buy all four so you get free shipping um, of seven hundred twenty four bottles. That, that's that's all there is of this particular product and there's something to be said for exclusivity and the ability to be able to have a unique version of whatever um but going back to you have these four barrels that you dumped in did your ratios work when you just said i'm dumping the whole barrel or is there some left over like did you say okay no no, no. we're gonna actually put in you know 75 percent of this barrel 100 percent of this barrel 30 percent of this barrel to get your blend and then you're left over with like this other stuff that didn't go in or did you just say these ratios work so uh you know this is where so i would i would describe the latter thing that you said as as uh we might have called like nightmare scenario mm-hmm. uh you know we we had a lot of conversations kind of earlier middle on in this project about sort of you know if we don't if we don't throw all these barrels you know everything in these barrels in what do we do because we've mm-hmm. now We've now paid for product that's in a barrel. You know, we're going to be paying taxes on these barrels. And, you know, maybe we, you know, maybe we, maybe we dump everything of one barrel, but then half of this. And then it's like, you know, because initially we were like, well, maybe we could siphon siphon what's left over off into single barrel things. So we could sell right. tasting kit, you know, a kit where you can buy the one, two, three, four plus borrowed page and. We we were also like we don't have the like we don't have the the wherewithal to launch a brand and also figure out the logistics of that. So uh, luckily, Andemic, who again we met, uh, you know, with from Watershed, mm-hmm. uh, she has recently, you know, since moved on from Watershed. She works for Ohio Liquor, uh, but she's got exp- you know she's got a lot of experience with blending. Uh, we had zero experience with blending. Uh, and the closer and closer and closer we got to the point where we actually had to make this thing, uh, the more and more nervous and anxious I got about our ability to do it. So, um, you know, I reached out to a couple people, uh, but, you know, eventually we were just kind of like, why don't we ask Anne just to see, you know, she was into the idea early on, you know, she's not a watershed anymore. I don't know if she'll be able to do it or if she can do it, but like, why not? And again, luckily for us, just like you know, tons of enthusiasm for Anne and, you know, Anne came from Campari. She worked with Wild Turkey. She's the barrel master at Watershed. She helped, you know, she worked with Marion Eves on the Watershed, Eves, uh, Eves mm-hmm. Blind thing. Uh, and maybe I think on another blending project with Marion. Um, so a lot of cool insight that we actually got from, from Anne, both from her personal, you know, sort of approach to blending, but also giving us some, you know, secrets from, from Mary and Eves as well, who, you know, we're hoping to, to get a chance to chat with soon. But, um, you know, she was the one who really came in and was like, the goal, like the aim of this has got to be to dump, the, you know, the whole barrel in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
you know, with some of her guidance, I think we were able to get to a point where we were able to do that. So every single drop of whiskey that we bought is in these. Went bottles. into the blend. Yeah. Perfect. And, and, and I, I will just just to, to elaborate briefly on that. Right, is the quality of the product was always our, our primary mission. Right, if mm -hmm. we thought it compromised the, the quality of the product, then we would have never done it. What we yeah. realize is when you have you know all of these different barrel selections, you know, on a palette, so to speak, and you're trying to trying to create something, there's an infinite outcome, you know, number mm -hmm. outcome. And and so many of them are fantastic. Um, but we needed to for for economic reasons and for practical reasons, like there are amazing solutions that actually did require a hundred percent of each of the the, the, the barrels that, that we selected. And we said let's focus on those um quality blends versus trying to figure out, yeah, this is five sevenths of this barrel and you know seven twelfths right. of that barrel right and i'm trying to think of things that don't don't reduce down and it, it be, because like if we went down that path we, we would we would get lost and like oh but is something maybe incrementally better and mm -hmm. we would have left with this product it, it's just imp impractical and i think um focusing on what is the highest quality product we could do that maximize the whiskey that was out there and just being comfortable like with what that expression yielded out and there, there's a little bit of fate and I, I i'm so happy that the product came out the way that it did i think it's unbelievable and i don't think we needed to to tinker on a kind of a fractional barrel basis to get to this quality well and even with even with the concept of like let's use everything that's in these barrels well, first of all that's that you know that's a guessing game a yeah. little bit mm -hmm. when you're doing it on a micro level when you get to the when you get to the full blend you you learn that there's there's variation from where we had mm -hmm. variation on what we thought the proof was going to be variation on what we thought the final volume was going to be all that kind of stuff but even with the concept of of let's dump all these everything in these barrels i don't even remember how many versions of a blend we oh, went man. through mm -hmm. um like and like we had you know we met over over zoom for over several you know a couple of days um and we came up with stuff on the zoom but then all three of us and me, Chase, were also just like tinkering, you know, the backgrounds. I just had like a full table of like, you know, little glass vials with stuff itched on it. So <laughs> yep. this this version, though, was absolutely without a doubt every. And the funny thing is, the other blends we disagree, whatever. This one, without a doubt, we all agreed was the greatest version of this blend. So I'm very confident in it. And I think so. You 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 said the the Delbach barrel was smaller, right? Uh, is is what you said a few minutes ago? It was a smaller barrel, not a like a full size fifty gallon barrel or fifty two gallon barrel or whatever, right? Yeah, I I got a I I I have this weird sneaking suspicion that talking with Stephen or talking with Mark over at Whiskey Delbach that that they may have moved into some larger mm -hmm. format barrels yep. um, in recent years, but they started off in fifteens. Yeah. So this barrel that we bought is a 15 and, and I think netted like 13.2 proof gallons or something like that. Um, yeah. and, and the reason I asked that is because I think if it, it, we might have had, you, you might have had a different conversation if you had 50 gallons of Delbach to put in the blend. Because yeah. yes. it is a, it is a very that. strong profile. But, you know, it, if you were saying, oh, you know, we're going to be even fourths on all four of these things, it might it, it might have well, hidden a few things. It, it's and I so uh, I was say, like, the, just in around the smoky flavor profile is one that that is kind of uh, fickle in its own right, right? Mm -hmm. it, it grows. So like, you know, even when we we blended in the the, the smoked whiskey on day one, 
it was a little bit more muted. And then when we came back to it, you know, on day four or five or whatever, when we circled back, it was much more pronounced. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, I think um, either, you know, luck or it was fortuitous or, or, or by design, like having that being a smaller portion, but it, it, it's just such a, a, a present flavor profile that it didn't need to be and probably shouldn't yeah. have been so much, you know, an equal portion. Well, right. we could we could have a whole podcast too on how bullheaded I was about which whiskey Dalbach sample uh, you know I wanted included in this blend and how wrong I was about it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, uh, how do you know you were wrong? Because you didn't blend the other one in in the final product, and you know the final product always changes a little bit from the initial blends. John, I. I mean, they're most—they're actually not mostly gone. They're mostly bubble wrapped in a box in the trunk of my mm-hmm. car right now. But uh, I could send you some of the samples of the ones I was trying to push. With you know, uh-huh. the cool thing about Whiskey Doll Bach is that they—they—they they, they didn't only send us whiskey samples, but they sent us like a lot of stuff to play with. So they sent mm-hmm. us—they uh, sent us their classic, which has no smoke in it at all. They sent us kind of what is their bait, which is sort of their their blend for their Dorado, their mes- the thing that they release is the mesquite smoke, which is actually a blend of classic and smoked uh, distillate. And then they sent us the 100% mesquite smoked sample. And I was like, we're putting the 100% mesquite smoked sample in this whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's when you're blending with smoke, it's... Uh, it's an interesting wrinkle uh, to work around because because finding the right balance of that smoke is 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 exceptionally hard. It, it, it was great, you know. I, I too was like initially gravitated towards the the hundred percent smoke, right? Because it's such a big, identifiably different thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. We're going to be innovation. We're going to be this. We want to be something that's d- demonstrably different from from uh, right. mainstream whiskey. Like th- that's going to bring us there. And what I found, and in, in, in Devin and Ann, we, we all kind of picked our own favorites and we came back and we collaborated. It's like, but what I learned about it's like my favorite, you know, watershed and my favorite wiggle and my favorite Del Back and, and, and Spirits of French Lake. When I put them all together, it was like, it was the classic story of too much of a good thing, right? Like <laughs> there was no concept of balance. I mean, we got 100% unedited Chase's flavor profile. Then it was like a lot of similar flavor notes that are just competing for for attention and not, no variety out there. And I, I think that's what we learned or I personally learned the most and what made the having to compromise or work with Devin's whose flavor profile is, is palette's different and Anne whose palette was totally different than either of ours. Um, I actually think just like the whiskey itself, we're, we're trying to create something that's, that's bigger or better than the sum of its part, the, the, the blend itself became better than than any one of us individually could probably could have created so you 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 mentioned that on day one when you did the blend um the smoke was muted and then on day four it was significantly more pronounced so so when it was more muted were you like oh oh, no it doesn't have enough of that flavor profile or did you like come in you know did you get the advice like it's gonna hit more on day four so wait for it or did you just have like a, a moment of like it's not doing what we thought it was gonna do I mean, I'm an incredibly anxious person, so I, you know, I am riddled with anxiety about most all things at most all times. Uh, I also, when we were blending, I um, was a couple months re- removed from having COVID, and I actually, I lost my sense of smell and my sense of taste 
for three days when I had COVID and I was mm -hmm. a complete wreck uh, because I was like, the, uh, I, my career is over. Like, I, you know, <laughs> it's uh, over before it even began. <laughs> do this thing. So, um, I, I was still in a little bit of recovery. So, uh, admittedly, uh, my nose had kind of come back, but my palate was still working its way up to full strength. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I had a lot of anxiety about every step of it, but I trusted the process. I trusted Anne. I trusted Chase. Um, and I also just, you know, as somebody who's been around whiskey for, for a while now, even, even beyond American mash and grain, I knew that it, it needed to marry, it needed some time. And I, you can't judge a book by its cover in this case. Um, so yeah, anxiety through the roof, uh, you know, a cautious optimism that it was still going to work out. Sure. Yeah, I wish we could have the the, the perspective of a seasoned vet, but like, oh, I've blended with with smoked whiskey before. Just wait till day four. That was not yeah. the case at all. Um, there there was a bit of element of surprise, but I think you know either by luck or design, right? Like Anne gravitated a lot towards the more delicate flavors, mm -hmm. um, whereas me, I went if if it was whatever the biggest, boldest heavy-handed flavor profile of the barrel lot was that that was my number one pick of each of these and and i think um you know she kind of had this instinct specifically on the the, the dell back piece um of finding something that she was like let's use the 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 not a hundred percent smoked malt grain and, and, and that when one come day four we had that like oh now we can kind of tell like if we'd gone this other direction of the 15 variations, 20 variations that we had, like that's kind of a difference maker. And I, and just using my non whiskey uh, knowledge, but logical brain, I would have assumed it would have been flip flopped. Like the initial blend would have had like present characters. And as they married, they all sort of like settle in together. And so I like, I would have been with you, Devin. I would have been like, Oh, Oh no, because if this is the peak and it's going to then mellow down to something else, like this doesn't work or maybe it does. I mean, it, it's probably still delicious, but it's not necessarily giving the character maybe you were after. Yeah. Well, and there's, you know, it's also one of those situations where it's like, we had this great concept, right? Everybody loved the concept. The enthusiasm for the concept was big. And then it's like, here's the moment where we have to prove the concept uh and yeah there was a there you know there's a moment where it was just kind of like this is a really cool idea is the reason why nobody has done this is because this doesn't actually work of work um but yeah or, or I mean, you have to have like a half a million dollars to make it work like you gotta right. have barrels on barrels to make it where you were worried about becoming the delorean of the whiskey world is what you were thinking. <laughs> that was the uh, yeah, well, and God forbid, but uh, not that I don't have a deep, you know, love and admiration for Back to the Future, but, uh, you know, a, as an actual functional car, that car, you know, anyway, uh, digression aside, yeah, I mean. No, I got a huge digression on Back to the Future, but we won't go that route tonight because uh, Chase maybe, has got to get to, to, to yeah, eat maybe at some later point in time. But it's, it's a good, like, hour and a half long worth, and it ties into the um, – the infinity line and time travel and we'll, Avengers, well, like we'll, we'll save it for the, 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 the mystery science theater whiskey <laughs> podcast version of, of this that we, we, we talked about offline. So no one listening gets the inside joke of that, but it's a, thing. yeah, absolutely. No, this, this is perfect. You know, I've always wanted to be a part of an inside joke. Um, I, so the, the only way that I'll tie this in is 
uh, I don't know if either of you guys have ever watched The Big Bang Theory very much. Yeah. Okay, so there's an episode where um, Sheldon's girlfriend points out the fact that in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, if Indiana Jones had not been a part of it, the ending would have been the same, and it ruined the movie for all of them. <laughs> because the ending is the same. They open the arc, and everyone dies except for Indiana Jones which is what they were trying to get after to begin with. Like they got it. They took it to their location. They opened it and everyone died. It's along that lines It's, it's along that lines, but we won't, we won't dive into it too deep. Well, I would um, prefer you don't ruin back to the future for me. So maybe we never speak. You'll love the first movie. And then after that, it all falls off. Like it all falls <laughs> off. Um, so you're at 116 proof with this bottle. Is this what the blend happened to be? Or did you have to like proof it down? Like say, okay, we got to get it proofed down to a point that this is appropriate for us. Uh, it's a funny, it's a fun story. Uh, another, um, another thing that I agonized over, we, we agonized over and, um, it's funny. We both loved it at, um, at cask strength, which is what this is. Uh, borrowed page volume one is cast strength. We're not, we're not committing that borrowed page will always be cast mm -hmm. strength. Although, you know, we'll see how it goes again. We're not putting standards on ourselves, but, um, we, we all loved it at cask strength. I, I think for as hot as this whiskey is, it drinks really, really easy. Mm -hmm. um, I attribute that to the fact that it's it's got a ton of flavor in it. So there's plenty to enjoy in Borrowed Page Volume 1. But also, you know, again, with that sort of proof of concept, uh, we do have the Lee Sinclair in there. The Lee Sinclair bourbon has oats in the mash bill. Oats tend to give whiskey a little bit more of a velvety, you know, mouthfeel and texture. I think, I think the Lee Sinclair is helping soften this whiskey at this proof. So, you know, we love the flavor. We love the boldness. Uh, we love the, how, you know, the, the texture of it. When we played around with proofing it down, uh, it's really funny at 110. Uh, it changed to something that, you know, we, we thought was good, just not as good mm -hmm. at a hundred proof. We got back kind of back to the flavor profile that we had at barrel strength, but we lost the texture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was a lot of like, where do we put this trying to keep the consumer in mind too, that not everybody loves a barrel strength product. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, uh, we had, you know, we tried to do an estimate of what we thought the final volume was going to be once all the whiskey was delivered in Kentucky, once it was weighed and all this stuff. And we did an estimate and it said, you know, it was going to basically make 835 bottles. Uh, we bought 835 bottles. So we were like, well, we can't prove, we literally can't proof it down because if we prove mm -hmm. it down at all, we have juice that we, and we've got no glass to put it in. Right. Of course, that didn't end up, end up being accurate. We got a 724, so we did end up having some extra glass. But I think this whiskey sings at the proof that it's at. I think it's beautiful. And and as a whiskey drinker, and granted, I you know I am a more seasoned whiskey drinker, so maybe my palate is skewed towards something that's higher proof than mm -hmm. than your standard whiskey drinker. But what I love about high proof whiskey is that if you don't like it at you know, 58.44%, add some water to it. You want yeah. to put some ice cubes in this? Like, I'm not precious. Like, you know, drink this whiskey, however you're going to enjoy it. 
And that's the thing is you can't take something that's already been proofed down. You can't add that texture back into it, like kind of where we were at 100 proof with this thing. So it was uh, it was kind of like a long painstaking, like, what are we going to do with this? And we felt like the choice was kind of taken out of our hands, but it was also the choice that we wanted to make anyway. So it was mm -hmm. a, a happy circumstance, I guess. It, it, it's funny. I, I never appreciated fully the link between proof and price you know as a consumer mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. oh barrel strength we could just make that as cheap as you know conceptually understood it right like i understand right. why that is but like you know producers out there that make so much volume like okay fine whatever and and so like it gets caught into this kind of head and heart thing right like devin and i both wanted it at at the the cash strength right we mm -hmm. just we thought for the you know, that allowed people to, to add a, an ice cube or stand up in a cocktail if they want. And the flavor is so big, but it's so rich and the texture is so good. But then me being on the, on, on the kind of the marketing sales, you know, business side, I was like, but if we bring it down to 100, which we also like, yep, we get a lot more volume. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think the uncertainty kind of in those final moments of what our volume was and how much glass we have, actually was just kind of fates, you know, fate intervening, like, no, like follow your heart and, and not necessarily your head. And I, I think it kind of, it took the decision out of our hands a little bit to, to really recommit to the underlying, you know, one of two standards that we want to commit to craft, but ultimately the quality of the product should, should take precedence over any sort of price point, marketing volume, mm -hmm. you know, whiskey standard kind of decision-making product uh, process. Which yeah, let's that, not let's not avoid another reason why this is a great valued product. Great value. <laughs> well, that, and that's, you're you're exactly right, and you know you'll find you know, whiskey nerds appreciate the fact that it's at, at cask strength because exactly what you're saying. Like Devin, I had it lined out. I'm like right here. You know, like, we can hit the points. Like if you want to proof it down, you can. If you want to put an ice cube in it, you can. If you're at 100 in proof and you put an ice cube in it you're going to be at, uh, you know, like liqueur status pretty quick, you know, as it yeah. starts to melt down or whatever. Um, but it allows us to taste it at the original intent. And, and I, I think we appreciate that. And when you think about this is a blend of four craft distilleries, you know, that are already, you, you can't find a, you can, but you can't find a good craft. You can't. You can find a craft distillery that's pricing inexpensively, but largely they're not going to be great. And by inexpensive, I mean in that sub thirty dollar range, right? So we're looking at four distilleries that if you go into the distillery and try to buy a bottle, you're probably going to be spend somewhere between fifty and sixty five dollars. If I just had to get off the rip, I haven't even looked. You're at that, but now we have to blend this appropriately and rebottle it by some other person. But we're doing it at cask strength you're you're making the case for yourself that this is appropriately priced at $75 no matter what you know like, no matter what you say this is this is still it and um being higher is likely an easy thing to to justify um, but i get what, wanting to make sure you have the authority to say this is good and people believe you um you know the, the, the proofing game is tough. And, you know, I think about Maker's Mark is even addressing this. Right now, Maker's Mark is addressing this. They put out the DNA series where they're like, we go into the barrel at 110 proof, but we're going to show you what it would be at 115, 120, 125. Just to prove what we were already doing is the best. 
and largely whiskey folks are uh, okay we got it you, you're you're right and so we're starting to trust the people who are putting these things together a little more and saying it's not necessarily a bean counter decision that was made it's a decision that was made that is this is the best opportunity for what's going on here so you know like i said it, it's I think that's that's appropriate. I think it's very very appropriate. Um, I've got a I've got a ton more questions, but I, I know we have some plot of a timetable, um, and we'll we'll go to like a really generic question here. And I'm going to go back without a question. You pronounced that rye from Wiggle. Thank you, because I was looking at that on their website like two weeks ago, and I was like, I don't know how that's pronounced, and I've spelled it out phonetically for myself now, so I have it, and I'm going to put it on a post-it over here, so whenever I eventually get to that, I can talk about it. Um, but what is the most encouraging trend for you in whiskey right now? You know, and, I, and I'll Whichever one of you guys want to go first, go for it. Oh. I, I, I'm going to... Um... I'm going to jump in because like, like I said, I'm, I'm more coming from the the storytelling marketing mm -hmm. side of things. And Devin is like got all the actual tasting accolades and, and, and whiskey credentials. So I don't want to come second because mine will sound juvenile. Um, I think the most encouraging trend that's going on right now um, is the distilleries themselves, they're, they're leaning into, I don't want to say terroir because I feel like that's, that's overplayed at this point, but like mm -hmm. um, they're finding grains that are native to their region and they're finding, you know, farmers that are naturally growing those products on their, on their family's lands that they've, they've farmed for a while. And, and I, I think they're letting that kind of natural ecosystem of, of self-identity drive the direction of their whiskey versus mm -hmm. trying to conform their whiskey towards an ideal of, of, of or a precedence of that already exists. And, and I really like that for a lot of reasons. One is it, it just, it's, it, it creates new things that, that we wouldn't have otherwise thought about, but it also allows whiskey to be an ecosystem that rides, raises all tides or mm -hmm. tides raise all sheep's ships or whatever the yep. saying is. And, and I, I, I really like that, you know, they're, they're working for with, with small cocktail bars and they're working with small farmers and, and the, what the product itself tastes like is, is a literal expression of that kind of local ecosystem of relationships. And I really like that um, piece of the puzzle that that's kind of exists only really in non-commodity craft whiskey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I have to echo a lot of what Chase said, because, you know, <clears throat> I mean, first of all, I, again, I, I really, truly am really excited for American single malt. Um, the, you know, we spoke with Clay Risen from the New York times really early, early, early on. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, we had a really good discussion about, you know, what this, what this, what these standards might mean in terms of, you know, maybe limiting some of the innovation or something like that. But, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, he, you know, he made a statement, he's like, you know, uh, a standardization, it, it elevates the category. Because right now it's not a category, I think is what he said. And, and it's just so true. You know, the fact that there will now be a standard in that American single mall is something that will be recognized not only here, but around the world. Um, I mean, that's just such a, it's such a cool thing to be, it's such a cool thing to be, you know, alive right now and witnessing something like this happening in America, a new standardized style of whiskey. I think that's super cool. And uh, and also to be in the industry, you know, and to feel, you know, not like a part of it, but 
to be, you know, to have a little bit of a front row seat, seat to it mm-hmm. has been truly, truly amazing. But it's, it really is the innovation all across the country um, that is so encouraging. And I think is honestly what I think if it wasn't ha- like if if people like the Swansons at Far North in Minnesota weren't didn't do the seed vault series with those mm-hmm. one acre, you know, plots of land where they did. 17 or whatever different varietals of rye all the same way you know if um high wire distilling in in uh south carolina wasn't uh basically growing all the same grains but on four different farms and distilling and bottling by farm so you Mm -hmm. could actually taste the difference of the same varietal of grain but just being grown in different soils and different environments if uh you know, if Mammoth wasn't doing the kind of stuff that they're doing with revitalizing Rosen Rye in Michigan and, uh, you know, out there on South Manitou Island. And and honestly, all all the cool things that you can talk to Ari Sussman about with like the different, uh, what is it, like growth zones or something in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's learning about this stuff. It's, you know, it's Frey Ranch uh, in Nevada, literally manufacturing their own peat, like, from their being, own waste. Yeah. yeah, like, like, what's, waste. yeah. What's, what's peat? It's it's decayed vegetal matter. Well, we're a, we're a farm. We have decaying vegetal matter. Like right. Like when uh, it's when, advanced compost. This is this is like this is advanced compost is what it is. When they were telling me about how they manufactured their own peat on the premises mm-hmm. and then used that to smoke malt on the pre- like. Uh, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that like, that's the kind of stuff that gets me going in whiskey every day. And it's the kind of stuff that makes me excited to tell these stories because I know not everybody out there is a huge, like push your glasses up to your, you know, your, you know, head nerd. Like I am who's just like so obsessed yep. about the process and philosophy behind making whiskey. But, um, I know I'm not alone. So if, you know, if anything, you know, to be able to tell those stories of what those people are doing and, and honestly, John, like when I saw the thing that you wrote on Instagram today about the fact that you used our website to research interviews for your podcast, like, uh, you know, it was a, it was a big, like, Honestly, it, I won't lie and say it was as special as being handed the first ever bottle of this. I would hope it, not. <laughs> it was, it was ex- I would hope that that bottle's far more special. <laughs> it was extreme. Well, that's not bottle one. But, you know, but okay. But uh, you know. when the FedEx man handed Devin bottle number four fifty two. Yeah. Hey, this is well six ninety eight. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that was an incredibly special moment because. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a moment really early on to developing this this company and this website that um, where I said to Chase, I was like, my dream is that one day, you know, American Mash and Grain will be big enough. And I don't mean big enough in terms of like some that massive company, but big enough in terms of the archive in a sense that it's like, you want to know what this craft distillery is about in Nevada and you know, Washington and Pittsburgh, wherever, Arizona, Ohio, Indiana, you want to know what these people are about, you should probably go to American Mash and Grain. Like, that's what I always hoped the website 
could be and can be and will be. And so, you know, when I read that today, that that was a moving moment. So I think it's really it's just about all the cool things that people are doing out there to advance the conversation about how do you create aroma? How do you create flavor and how do you create something different? I mean, I'll plug. I know we've been long winded on this response already, but just to highlight a point. I'm here for however long, man. You're the one that's waiting on dinner in a football game. I'm just saying. Like. I, yeah, no, no. I, I just heard my wife open, open a bottle of wine, Debbie, I, I guess on a whiskey podcast, but I think she's okay for the moment. That's got to air out, buddy. No, 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 no. So I, I had, I had a, a wine explicit guy on here that wrote a book, has a blog, and has begun the first ever Bhutan wine. Bhutan is a country. Um, in the far east, that they're they're going to make their own wine out of. So no, I don't I don't get hung up on the whiskey thing. I just it, it's interesting people. But go on, sorry. Drinking yeah, no, things. You guys should listen to that podcast. It was a good one. Uh, yeah. I'll t- t- take a listen. Um, you, you know, craft whiskey is not at scale enough really to have a luxury of trends. You're asking what what trend are you most excited about? And I think Devin and I both kind of politically skirted the question. In in in, in Really, the, the answer is like we're excited about the the trend of self innovation, your self expression, right? Mm-hmm. Taking a direction like when there's a trend in craft beer, day one there's a hundred, if not a thousand plus, you know, micro producers, home brewers, or or, or or large producers out there trying to figure out what the the next brute IPA is. Yep. Right. These things happen on mass. It doesn't like whiskey by its current size and really by its kind of prohibitive nature of like the facility and the infrastructure needed to produce it and the laws that prohibit cat, you know, uh, home production of it. Like mm-hmm. things really can't happen in mass trend. And, 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 and so, like, I think what makes me so excited and so infatuated with the craft whiskey movement is like when you hear people talk about what they're doing, even if there's thematical consistencies from distillery a to distillery b the the way it presents itself and what they're doing and how they're doing it is so unique to them it's really not born out of oh i know this person who's doing something pretty similar so i'm doing something in line with that to to create my version of it no it's like there is like very demonstrable differences from from um all everything that that these people are doing and so like the overarching trend I'm most excited about is like, just let individuals be individualistic, let innovation be innovation. And, and, and like, let's see where, where we can go and where the boundaries of, of whiskey can be and quality whiskey production can be in the U S. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you, I, I'm, I'm with you on that entirely, you know, the, the and I, I talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, um, but uh, Alan Bishop does a podcast called distillers talk uh-huh. and it's, you know, in the intro to that, he always talks about like, oh, this is all for like home distillers and people in the distillers industry. And that's the kind of listeners we have. And every time he says that, I slightly chuckle because uh, I, I am neither of those. And I've listened to every episode for the past like two years because it's super interesting. But he has these conversations with people. You know, there's a guy that was on this talking about land race gardening. And it is basically, you know, the, the point of the whole conversation was every distiller should be seeking their own grain their own locally regionalized grain concept. And when you talk to people like Ari at Mammoth and you hit like three of the four that you talked about, Devin, are people that I have stolen your research. And maybe I need to start citing you guys, but like just <laughs> as a common note, like I need, just need to put as a notation, like stolen from ash and grain. But that was where I began, you know, thinking about Ari, thinking about Frey Ranch and, you know, kind of their innovation. And they're like a true on farm distillery because 
you know, farmers are a lot of things. And historically, a distiller was a farmer as well a lot of times because they were trying to find a way to store their grain. And so a farmer is a mechanic and a farmer is a person who just figures out how to make things work. Like, oh, well, we can make our own peat. That seems like an like an, just an abstract and absurd thing to think about. But for a farmer, he's like, it's just another thing I've got to figure out, right? Like it's jack of all trades, master of none. And um, I appreciate the responses. That is, uh, yes, that the idea of innovation, most of the times I get a canned answer like American single malt or, you know, and that, yeah, that is exciting. The idea of American single malt, you know, standardizing or whatever, but just the space for innovation in craft whiskey is incredible. You know, it, it's, it's an exciting thing to kind of um, seek out and explore and push um, and I can't believe you, you guys said this off air. I can't believe that this is the first podcast you've ever done. I'm, I'm sorry. It couldn't have been a bigger platform. You absolutely, absolutely deserve it. It, it, um, wouldn't, it wouldn't be us if it was right. It, it, it's small, <laughs> passionate people. Right? That's the community we run in. And we're, we're, we're proud of that. I, I suspect that you'll have a handful more. If you don't already have them scheduled, not because of this, but just because of what you guys are doing, I suspect there'll be more people be like, hey, we want you to come and talk. Come be on our YouTube channel, dudes. Come do this thing. Um, but the last thing, and I'll, I'll let you go, Chase. You got to go eat. You don't, I don't want you to starve to death. Um, you guys have been friends since you were five years old. And so you've been friends for at least 16 years. Did you decide, hey, let's start a business together because you wanted the friendship to end? It was like, this is like, you know, <laughs> let's, let's, it was a good run. We can't find any other way to kill this because we've been friends forever. But let's start a business because you could either start a business or like build a house. Like, those are two of the most stressful things you could do. Are you building a house too together? Maybe like just you know like what, what's let's not rule it out. You know, uh, Devin is in the process of moving. You're seeing him in a hotel room. He's going to mid road trip to he's his going new like home. equally. He's going equally far away from you, just on the other side, right? Because he was in <laughs> New York. New York to New Orleans is a pretty pretty big distance. Now he's going to Colorado. That's got to be I, like the same my, distance, right? Yeah. Well, my plan is ultimately to get to Colorado, so we will shrink uh, that gap. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So there's, there's a plan to get there eventually. Yeah. yeah. That way we can, when we, when it's time to strangle each other at the end of this, we you can actually be, can, we can be in person, you know, but uh, no, I mean, well, first of all, I'll say it's, let's, let's call it 25 plus years. Okay. Uh, you know, we'll call that an easy number uh, to throw out there, but um, that's closer to what I was estimating because neither one of you look like you're as old as me. So I know that it's got to be sub a certain number. I'm not going to throw that out there either, <laughs> but you know, that, that feels appropriate because that's, that's still relatively young. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Chase and I have done a lot of stuff together over these 25 plus years. And you know, if you, if anybody has a recording of Chase's best man speech at my wedding, he will, uh, you know, a lot of them are listed there as, he told he told everybody that the theme of his speech was going to be about loyalty, uh, and then uh, and then he just went he just went on a tirade of all the things that I've made him do. Uh, this is what my best man did to me at my wedding speech as well, and it was a family member, but it was a close family member, your cousin that was like a you know best friend to me, and he was like, "Let me line out all the things that he made me do that could have gotten me in trouble and or arrested." But, um, I'll say, you know, the theme of my speech when I was the best man at Chase's wedding was that uh, it was about brotherhood. And, you know, I don't have a brother. Chase doesn't have a brother. Um, we both have sisters. And, um, 
you know, it's more than a friendship. He, you know, he, mm-hmm. he is the closest thing that I have to a brother. And, uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of things on my own and I've done a lot of things with Chase. The things that I do with Chase are always better and more enriching and more satisfying and make my life a better life. So, uh, you know, he'll probably kill me first, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I, you know, it, it's a, it is a stress, but, uh, and you know, we started this company in part to be able to like stay connected with each other in a, in a pandemic living, living far away from each other. You know, there are definitely moments where I'm like, I wish I could talk to Chase about something that doesn't involve this like website or this whiskey that we're, you know, putting together. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, it's a special, it's a special friendship and, uh, you know, I think it's, I won't call it bulletproof, but, uh. You know, if there's anybody that I would rather have kill me, if, you know, would you, you know, nobody else than Chase. So, I do, I do like my personal odds in a physical altercation. <laughs> so, like, you know, I, I can't, I can't say if weapons are involved. Um, and, 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 and to Devin's point, you know, it, when we went to Kentucky um, to actually put the juice in bottles, right, in, in, in Little Mary, like that was the first time Devin and I had without our families, without a larger group of friends, actually spent um, an extended period of time together since we were 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I really like that time, regardless of where borrowed page and or mashing grain go, right. will be a cherished time. Cause like, it really did. Um, it, it's so important to have that kind of time together. The, the thing I'll say about the starting a company is, is impossibly difficult. And I, I think what's really special about this relationship is that we actually are, I think, true compliments um, in our strengths and our shortcomings. You know, I, the, the product itself, right, was, was founded on the idea of like, can we make a blended product that is better than the sum of its parts? And, and I, I think in many ways, this relationship is the manifestation of that, which is, you know, Devin has unbridled passion and knowledge for the spirit industry. And, uh, you know, I have this maybe more calm demeanor and more business oriented. And, 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 and I told him when we, we got together for the blend is like, um, he's the kind of friend that, that, that because I have a relationship with him, ideas become realities. Mm-hmm. And I like to think of myself as maybe the kind of friend to him that realities don't destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the, the ideas can become realities. I think the, the, the inverse is true. You know, that my, my, my wife is an incredibly talented and very um, artistic individual. And some years ago, she got involved with a local community theater. And they're like, hey, we have this community theater and we're trying to do all these fun things for this small town. And we want to do whatever. But zero of them were looking at how do we market this? How do we make money? How do we make sure that we can pay the electric bill? Like there's a part of it where you have to have that. I'm not necessarily saying Devin doesn't have that, but there's that's how a friendship it feels like that's how a friendship lasts over time is that you aren't the same person because if you're the same person you probably would have already murdered each other or just been like yeah. saying it we'll move on i'll go find a new friend who who's not the same um i really appreciate the time you guys have given um one last thing that i you know the next round you guys do borrow page 2 i think you can probably triple your price if you provide small 50 or 100 ml samples of the barrels that went into it and make a blending kit for them and just oh, say, very like, much no, being, yeah 
Oh, it's a seventy-five dollar price radar, for the yeah. bottle. It's three hundred dollars to get the blending kit and see if you can beat our blend. And if they can beat your blend, then you know to hire that person to help you with the next. <laughs> Just, it's a it's a Willy Wonka situation. This because I, I I think I, I've had the guys from Penelope on. Uh, you know, the, the, yep. Mike and Danny, super guys, but they let people build their own blends. And I can only they didn't say this. I never asked them this, but I can only imagine like. If they had somebody come in and put a blend together to do a custom blend and then sell them, they tasted like this is amazing. Like, call this guy back. Let's let's bring him back. You know, he can help us blend something else. You know, so you can crowdsource your solutions or whatever. Um, we're we're at an hour. Like I said, we're in an hour forty minutes. We've got thing. You guys have things to do. I've got to go wash clothes for a, a trip. Um, we didn't even get back to the American single malt conversation. There's more here. We'll do this again. I mean, provided you guys want to. I mean, y'all, y'all are gonna oh, yeah, maybe maybe it. about next month. Y'all are gonna be like, oh, we're doing bourbon pursuit all the time. You know, we're on the, the, the big guys. <laughs> like, I don't even. Fred Minnick is coming dream. to our house and hanging out or whatever. Um, Return my calls, Kenny. Uh, <laughs> you know, the thing is, he just might because they can't let a small guy find something good. They got to make sure that they come in with their own spin. Um, but I appreciate your time. I'm going to dump you out. We'll, I'll hit the outro. And then if you'll hang out for just a minute, we'll you know, just wrap it up. I appreciate yeah. you guys for being here. If you got any final parting words aside from mashandgrain.com, go buy the bottles. Buy one bottle, you get the equivalent of four single barrels within that. You know, it, it's, it's a fantastic value. Buy four at of cask them. Free ship, at cask strength. At four of them, you get free shipping. And there's a plethora of useful information on the website to begin with. If you are trying to steal information for your own podcast or website, it's a great place to go. You got anything else you want to add to that? Oh, I mean, uh, mashandgrain.com, at mashandgrain, pretty much anywhere on social media. Um, and uh, yeah, also, you know, part of the whole point of this, uh, Watershed Distillery, Columbus, Ohio, check them out. Wiggle Whiskey, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Check them out. Uh, Spirits of French Lick in uh, you know West Baden, Indiana. Check them out. And Whiskey Dalbach, Tucson, Arizona. Uh, really special distilleries uh, for a really special you know first release. Yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm going to continue our, our, our quick name of oh, everyone we appreciate for for the sword. Bluegrass uh, bottling. Don't forget bluegrass bottling. Bluegrass bottling. Um, Paradise Distributors down in Florida, uh, uh, Primo Spirits uh, down in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, uh, Josh Duncan did the artwork, and Blair Posteri did the design for the label. All right, there we go. Um, even if they're not a part of the blend, if they're a local craft producer, you should go check them out. Go, go take that initiative on. And if you want to know anything about any of the companies that are blended in this, you go to to, to Mash and Grain, then you follow the link to the Borrowed Page album or the bar page page. And then on that, it actually has links to watershed spirits, French, like wiggle whiskey, Dale Bach, and there's long form articles. They're worth it. Go read it. Like be a whiskey nerd, join in with us, go learn, learn more about it. And then you can jump over to the websites, go buy stuff from them. You need to buy one of each of the bottles from each one of them. So that way you can compare, like, well, how do they make this blend? You know, like this is, this is a way you can do it. And then just imagine the next time when they do it, if they can provide you a smaller sample, cheaper than each one of the individual bottles. You can do that. You know, you can learn a few things. So um, I, I truly appreciate you guys for joining me. I know it's, you know, it's a sacrifice of time. You know, it, it it's incredibly uh, appreciative. My pleasure. Thank you, John. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right. So thanks for tuning in to this offering from the Embellished Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you're consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using Embellished Pod and give me a follow or you can keep up with what's going on here. I can also be found at www.embellishedpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. I'll be back again um, in a couple of weeks with a new new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.